<laughs> what a joy it is to be here with family. I miss you all during the week. Plus, we have a family member I haven't seen for a while. So good to, to spend a little time talking to her today and her challenges with the freezing weather down close to the equator. Today we're in, today we're in 1 John. We're reading uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The word of life. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is God's word. All praise, honor, and glory be to God. I just can't. I just can't hold it in. The guy in purple behind me in the stained glass window looks exactly like Jeff Mont. I'm like, you just give him a staff and a purple robe. He's agreed to take the center off to complete the picture. So uh, we're starting off the book of uh, starting off the book of First John. Um, which is always good to uh, to start a new book is always a, is a blast, right? Um, so we're going to be here for about I think we said six six months, um, six months in in First John. Um, and so as I was as I've been reading it and, and, and studying it, you know, we talked last week about the fact that um, John is battling some things where clarity is important. And it's really interesting because this morning he continues. He's still battling against um, distruths, which aren't truths, so wrongs, if you will. Um, he's battling against wrongs. And it's really interesting because he says he's doing this for fellowship. And so I was just kind of thinking through about you know fellowship. What are some sweet times of fellowship? The holidays are usually um, pretty sweet times of, of fellowship. Um, without getting too, too sharp on what exactly is Koinonia Christian uh, fellowship. But if you think of fellowship just in terms of spending time together, certainly the holidays, generally speaking, people are coming in from, from out of town, right? You might have a collection of people. And so I can imagine a scene where, you know, you, you're visiting someone's house for the holidays. Uh, maybe, you're, maybe it's Thanksgiving. I think that's always the, the, the one that really sticks out because that's a little wider net Thanksgiving, right? Christmas is a little tighter. Everybody's sitting around in their PJs, ripping open plastic things from China. So it's generally a smaller, smaller group setting, right? We're getting a Claxton fruit cake again for the ninth time. Uh, I'm getting another coffee cup. You know, these are the things that are happening. But in uh, Thanksgiving, it's just all about getting fat, right? It's about great food. Some of those secret recipes that have been passed down through the family for years, right? 
Um, I remember my grandmother gave us the, one, of, one of her secret recipes, and it was so secret, only she knew how to do it, even when she wrote the recipe down. So it would say, add some of this, right? And over the years, you used to figure out what some means, right? Add, add some pineapple, um, and so you, you figure it out. You're walking up to the house, you're visiting somebody's house, it's Thanksgiving, and there's, the cars are all parked out front. And everybody's got a bumper sticker, right? Because we all need to communicate things on our bumper. You come up, and maybe it was November, say, Thanksgiving last year. You walk up, and there's the Trump 2020 truck. It's on a truck. And then you, you come up to um, a, a Subaru. And on the bumper of the Subaru, it says, I'm riding with Biden. You know, And then you look over, there's a Honda Accord, and it says, Joe Jorgensen 2020. What do you anticipate when you open the door of this house? Joyful times? You, you, you feel like, hey, this is going to be, you know, this is, this is going to be a great time of joyful fellowship? Probably not. Maybe you've been at this Thanksgiving dinner. Maybe you've been in this environment where people have to talk about the things they disagree on first. Um, th these are not people in this home that are going to be aligned on what the truth is. They, they won't even see straight on a single issue, probably, except for Jorgensen. You know? These are not people that are going to endure the tests of life together, perhaps, very well, if these are the most important things. They might not even make it through lunch today together. And so in a similar sense... John is addressing issues in the church that people are starting to make the main thing, right? In the church, we talk a lot of times about some things that are the main thing, some things that are different around the fringes and the edges, right? What are those primary issues that we've got to get right in order to be uh, Christ-following Christians? Um, maybe you've heard the joke before where you know, St. Peter, of course, is showing someone around heaven, and then they come to one of the doors and say, shh, be quiet. And they sneak by, and after they get by, they say, well, why did I have to be quiet? They say, well, that's the Southern Baptist. They don't know anyone else is here. Right? <laughs> Thank you to the person that thought I was funny. John is dealing with issues that we need to be sharp on in order to have fellowship. And the issue that he's coming down on this morning that we're in in, in verses 1 through 4 is the person of Christ, holistically. He is, he is putting this up there and saying, in order to have real fellowship, we need to get the person of Christ right. The deity, you know, the, your 50-cent word of the day is a hypostatic union, which sounds cool. It sounds smart. What does it mean? 100% God, 100% man. At the same time, this is who Jesus is. Um, and so John is going to make us sharp on that point. So with all of that said, let's look at the first verse, which read, reads like this, read like this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Um, I said during the book introduction, I said something um, that has a little more tension around it than, than I admitted to. I said it flatly. I said that this could be talking about a loose view of from the beginning. This could be talking about from the beginning of all the earthly ministry that they saw with Christ, but I think it's actually a little bit more than that. There's tension, and I think John is leaving that tension on purpose. 
Again, if, if you weren't here for the book introduction, I said that the book is generally thought to have been written by John. Um, go back in time, go back in history, and you'll see um, several people um, talking about this book and talking about it as though John wrote it. So people from around, say, 200 AD, a um, little closer to the source time than we are in uh, 2022 AD. That which was from the beginning. Um, so you probably read that on Monday, because that's the way we're breaking up the reading on this book, is chapter 1 on Monday, um, on Wednesday, chapter 3, on Thursday, chapter 4, and then Saturday, reading those section of verses that we're about to study on Sunday, and the same thing on Sunday morning. That which was from the beginning. And what follows there is these several different kind of stops along the way. That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked upon and we have touched with our hands. And he doesn't leave us in the dark. He tells us what those things are. He says, concerning the word of life. The word of life. He's referring to Jesus. All of the things that you've heard that we've taught. So you could take here, uh, that which was from the beginning could be Genesis 1.1. The earth was formless and void. Looking prior to that, prior to creation, the beginning, the eternal beginning, of which there was no real beginning, the Alpha, is Jesus, the Word of Life. So he's talking about Jesus as though he existed before time, because he did, right? He existed co-eternally with the Father forever. So what he's setting up is this environment where people can't talk about Jesus as a created being. People can't talk about Jesus as having some kind of an interesting, magical interaction where Jesus is a man on the earth, and then... Um, as the man of Jesus, or the man who was Jesus, the container for Jesus, uh, became tried and tested in different ways, then the dove descends, and then Jesus really, the real Jesus really indwells this shell of a man who had been prepared for Jesus. These are the kinds of Gnostic teachings that were starting to leak into the church, which is why they were having a hard time having fellowship together, because the fellowship that they were to have was in the Father and in the Son, and so if you have people coming in and saying all of these crazy, wild things, then it opens up people for error. We read in the scriptures, talks about people with itching ears, right? People who just want to hear new things. They're not satisfied with what everybody knows. They're not satisfied with what the text says. They're not satisfied with the truth. And you hear it all the time from teachers, would-be teachers. You hear all kinds of interesting things, just playing on things that we want to be true, playing on our emotions, creating um, small G gods who never push back on anything you believe, but they always go in deep with you. Whatever you want, that's what God would want for you, which is insane. I mean, you wouldn't even treat your toddler like that. Whatever your toddler wants, you, you're doubling down on that too. My toddler have all wanted insane things. Um, I told a story about the one that played in the middle of Second Street, right? What, what, how would I look back at my son and say, hey man, Looks like you're having a blast out there Second Street. Have fun. But we want God to be that for us. Uh, there's all these things that are really bad for me, and I want them. And so we would say, well, yeah, God wants that for you too. God is a God of love. God wants everything that you want, even the things that are clearly very terrible for you. Or even the things that a civilized society can't stand on. 
you're a sexual pervert and a weirdo. Yeah, God's fine with that. He wants you to be a sexual pervert and a weirdo. Is what a lot of people would teach today. But it's not true. It's not in the scripture. And that's why the scripture is so important. Because in order to have fellowship in the Son and in God, which is where we find salvation, we need to be right on issues. We need to rightly understand things. And we certainly can't perpetuate wrong things and pretend like it's okay. John is looking for clarity. A house divided can't stand. And so there's something interesting about the tension between the trailing words concerning the word of life. All that pressure and all that tension around that which was from the beginning is because of who Christ is, this pre-incarnate Jesus. Right? So it's important to know that Jesus wasn't created. He wasn't born and then he became existent. As a man, he was, but he was the pre-existent with the Father forever, part of the Trinity, one of the three parts of the Trinity. Co-eternal. And so John is helping people to get clarity around that timeline of who Christ is. And, and that, the timelessness of Christ or who Jesus is and the Trinity is still a huge issue today. Um, I remember one time in New Mexico, we were... Um, I was with several uh, folks from, from the church that I was at, and um, we were going to go have some conversations and chat up folks. And um, somebody, I had come with food, right? I'm, I'm always prepared when it comes to appetite, right? We're going to be out, okay, I'm going to bring my breakfast with me. And uh, so folks got hungry, and they wanted to go to McDonald's. So we went to McDonald's, but the drive through was full. I promise I'm going somewhere. drive through was full. So we go inside, we sit down, and get some McDonald's food and we start eating and uh, I've got there's two guys in front of me my my back is to the rest of the the dining room and the restaurant um, at McDonald's and uh, my buddy said dude I think that's a table full of Jehovah's Witnesses I just heard one of them say something about the Trinity I was like really so I kind of turned sideways and I look and sure enough it's it's a long table it's there there's 15 Jehovah's Witnesses this is the McDonald's that they're meeting out before they go house to house that morning um, and I remember leaning back and I said to, to one of them, I said, hey, did you just say Trinity? That, it just it caught my ear. I'm a Trinitarian. So I thought that was interesting. And this turned into the one of the craziest events in like my Christian life. It was nuts. The iPhone had basically just come out. And so I had a Bible app on there. And I was able to flip among translations and, and versions and those kinds of things. And literally, I think for about two hours, wave after wave, Jehovah's Witnesses would come in and we were just sitting there having counsel with these people. And it was about nothing other than who is Jesus? Because uh, that's basically the only conversation that I'll have with um, a cult group that ascribes to their belief around Jesus. Um, th this particular group of folks... Um, believe differently about Jesus than I do. The Apostle Paul said, if someone comes to you with another gospel, let them be like anathema to you. So my line is always the same. If you see Jesus differently than I do, and the whole gospel hinges on Jesus, and, and we, we understand him differently, Paul instructs that one of us is like anathema. So we should talk about and figure that out before we talk about soul sleep and you know little gods and big gods and you know owning a planet at some point with different groups of people. Um, and so understanding who Jesus is is real and it's important. Um, 
it's so funny, we talked last week, I said that I was opening up a little school uh, all around engineering, civil engineering, structural engineering, of which I know nothing. Um, in fact, as soon as I did that, in unison, I saw uh, two heads who are engineers go like that, right? And both of them, of course, had like a, like a kind of a blue and white stripe hat on because the, they're train engineers, they drive trains. Um, but as soon as I brought up engineering, they both kind of looked up in, in unison. Um, I'm kidding, they don't drive choo-choos. It's not even like a real adult job, choo-choos. So what John is talking about makes a lot of sense in view of what he is dealing with. Because part of what Gnosticism would have taught in, in, in his day is, is what I was talking about earlier. That the man Jesus was born as a 100% human, no deity to him whatsoever. Um, he grew up, he became sanctified. When he got a little bit more holy, a dove descended. That was actually Jesus was in the dove. And he got sucked into this, this guy, Jesus. Then he lived with, the, uh, with, with Jesus in him. Um, and then he you know, lived and he did all the things that Jesus did. And then he left that body and went back up into heaven. And so John is dealing with that. He's talking about the timelessness of Christ. He's talking about the person and the humanity of Christ. He's talking about the fact that they saw and felt uh, Christ with their eyes. They touched him. They experienced him, right? You forget sometimes that you know, they didn't have you know, like a car, right? They're walking around from place to place. They're talking as they're going about these things. We read in the Gospels a pretty quick clip. It feels like it was about eight days, you know, the Gospels, but they're walking from town to town. They're camping at night. They're spending time around the campfire, right? Maybe they're building a tent. Um, probably some funny things happen along the way, right? They're living a very real life with Jesus. It's fascinating. And so in light of everything that was happening, you're probably having teachers who are pretending that they have secret knowledge about the truth and twisting up the person of Christ. Like I said, this is not different than, than today. You have that today. Walk into any secular bookstore. Unfortunately, walk into many Christian bookstores and you'll run into modern Gnostics, people talking as though they have some kind of a secret knowledge. Right? Maybe even they put out a book and call it The Secret and they put a little latch on the front of it to communicate that everything in here is a secret. And once you get it, you're part of some special club, right? Um, maybe you even get to wear like some kind of a different underwear from everyone else once you get the secret knowledge. It's real stuff that happens today. Um, and it's evil, frankly. Because it distracts people from the truth of who Jesus is, which is core, which is part and parcel to what God revealed about the truth. And so John is looking to create an understanding that shows the union between the eternal deity, which means like the forever godness of Jesus. It's not that Jesus became Jesus on the day that he was born or inhabited the body, the shell of this guy who would become deity. It's as the scripture plainly presents it. Um, my favorite, my single favorite passage, if you pinned me down and tortured me and, and I had to eke something out, um, would be Matthew one twenty one. And the angel comes and pronounces to Mary that she's going to have a baby and his name is going to be Jesus and he is going to save his people from their sins. Um, no equivocation there. You know, there's, there's no, he's going to try to save all people from their sins. It says he will be born, his name will be Jesus, and he will save his people from their sins. 
This is the passage. And so there's a sense in which John is talking about fellowship. Everybody has to have this common understanding of who Jesus is so that they'll be right and they'll be in a club. No, because fellowship is found in the center of the Father and the Son, and it's all enabled by the the Holy Spirit that gives us enlightenment and understanding. And so in order to be in fellowship, we need to understand truth. Now, does that mean that we have to be 100% right on everything? I hope not, because there's lots of stuff that you guys are probably wrong on right? Um, Your theological suitcase may be a little bit leaky. Uh, There may be some times that you evolve on an issue over time. Um, And so what I'm not saying is we have to pretend like everything is cut and dried, black and white, but we need to know who Jesus is. And certainly if we're going to teach from a church, if we're going to gather around the truth, we need to be able to divide uh, the word of God. We need to be able to understand what the truth is. We need to be able to communicate that with some clarity not be gathered around lies. Verse 2 says, the life was made manifest, and we've seen it, and we testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. So he's picking up from the the words that end in verse 1 of John 1 that says, Sorry, I was reading ahead, so I had to flip back. Which we looked on, we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Concerning the word of life is where verse 2 picks up. This is the life that was made manifest that they had seen and they testified to and they proclaim the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to them. So then that life was before everything was created. And as we read about Jesus in the scriptures, we know that all the physical interactions now that John is talking about is the physical body of Jesus that was made manifest so that we could see God, so that we could see how the character of God would interact in a broken world. That's one of the most fascinating things I think about Jesus, that the fullness of God was in Jesus as he walks around. So you would you see in Christ the way the character of God would interact in the world around him. And a lot of times we see differences than we see in ourselves because we sometimes have fellowship with darkness, whereas Christ had no fellowship with darkness. And so his interactions were different um, and they're instructive to us. They're interesting, right? And so Jesus, in a sense, is almost like a prism, uh, right? Like, I'm not very smart, so I don't know how light works. Maybe you totally get it. Maybe you know how vitamin D comes down from the sun into your skin, absorbed throughout your body. Maybe you completely get how the brain creates electricity for itself to pass sparks across synapses, which in me, the synaptic gap is only closed by caffeine, right? So if I literally don't drink enough coffee, I can't even process a thought or my body moves in weird ways because the synaptic gaps, they can't close. Um, but I'm fascinated by those things, right? And so take just the subject of light. It has vitamin D in it. I don't get that, right? But it's also made of color, but you see straight through it. And so if you take the light and you point it into a prism, it, that prism breaks the light out into the various colors that it is and will shine it on the ground, right? Um, and so like, uh, take for example, Lisa McCollum, she has a crystal that hangs from the rearview mirror of her car. And whenever the light hits it, it shines all inside the car, right? I'm kidding, she doesn't, she doesn't have that. I was trying to be weird. In a similar sense as the crystal in Lisa's car, 
Jesus comes into the world and acts almost as a prism for the nature and the character of God in this life. We get to see how he would interact. Um, and, and I've uh, probably ad nauseum used the example of magnification of believers. So we as believers magnify God to a watching world, which is strange because that, that seems odd that we people, little humans, would magnify God. So that concept um, is like if we wanted to see a star that was far, far away, we would have to magnify it so that we could see it. It's not that it's small. It's that it's so distant and so ethereal and so hard to see because it's far away that we need to magnify it to bring it in. Um, and so in the same way that a, a, a magnifying glass like a, like a telescope works, right? Like there's going to be a meteor shower and Penn Live suggested that it would be a great time to use your telescope, which is funny if you know anything about meteor showers, right? Not sure exactly how you, how you pull that off. The folks at Penn Live need a little more information on how that works. But in the same way that the telescope, when you get it oriented on a planet, which for me takes about an hour, right? It's, it's like those puzzles where you go like this and you can see the thing in 3D. I just give up and pretend like I see it with everyone else. If you can actually orient that on an entire planet, it makes that planet big enough that you can see it and you can appreciate its details, right? You, 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 when you get that thing on the moon, because that's the target I go for, I can't find anything else. You get that on the moon and you really see the moon for the first time up close, it's incredible, right? Now we're putting little helicopters on it. Log4j is making them crash into things. Maybe you could see that with a magnifying glass. In the same way, Jesus comes into the world, right? And you get to see the character and the nature of God in a man. You're like, that's, that's incredible. You see Jesus comes to the temple, and he experiences people trying to make money like a shill off of the worship of God or their character before God, right? You've got money changers, or you've got people who they know that they need to sacrifice an animal without any spot or any blemish on it. And they've probably got some goats pinned up, right, as you walk through. And you walk by with your little goat. You're happy. You're ready to kind of go pay for your sins. You've got a nice little white goat. And maybe they pointed a spot on it and say, is that what you're going to try to satisfy God with? I'll sell you a better one, but it's going to cost. And this is the kind of thing that Jesus is coming into. Usury, right, trying to make money off of people, edging on their, their beliefs about God. And Jesus doesn't stand for that, right? We, we see him driving uh, people out cleansing the temple. And so it's interesting to get to see elements of the character and the nature of God interacting with a very broken world. So when we are in right understanding of what we believe, then we're qualified to even have fellowship. Um, Looking ahead, 1 John 2, 9 and 10, it's like this. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Or again, 1 John 2, verses 22 through 25, reads like this. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you've heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. So gospel clarity is of grave concern 
to John. But I wonder about us sometimes. I feel like we've become complacent with a cultural understanding of Christianity. How do you know who a Christian is? By their necklace, obviously, right? Um, A Christian will always have a cross on their necklace. Um, And the bigger the cross, the more Christian they are, right? I mean, I've seen some I've seen some big crosses out there, pretty ornate, right? Some jewels on it. Um, John talks about a gospel clarity. There's a sense in which I think the, the cultural Christianity of our day is really a lust for acceptance, uh, which is interesting because the scriptures talk about friendship with the world being enmity with God, but the first thing that the church does when it tries to grow so that it can swell and become a bigger organization Right? Every organization that wants to grow has to add management layers. Right? Look at any company in the world, and you'll see this huge middle management tier of people, and it's all because the company wanted to grow so that they could have a cooler title, and so you have to create a whole area of the business and throw some management layers there. And all of a sudden, now you're higher in the company than you were before. And so churches that want to grow need to do that same thing. They create all of these insane support structures and boards. And before you know it, it becomes about growing and being big as opposed to worship of the creator, which frankly could be done on the sidewalk. And so John focuses us in on clarity. Um, It's interesting because I don't know how many of you watch the sport of football, um, but in football, clarity in the rules is of the utmost importance. Uh, You've got a lot of frustration with people whenever the rules aren't clear on targeting. Um, Per, who isn't here, so I'll pick on him. His team won a football game recently by the quarterback pretending to slide so people couldn't hit him, and then he ran it anyway. Rules are important. Um, You have, um, and if you if you watch a a NFL football game today, um, when there's a break in the action because they're trying to get some clarity on the rules, um, the the official walks out onto the field, right? And he looks into this little monitor and then the news broadcast pauses. They bring in the rules expert who talks through all these asinine elements of what's just happened on the field as though it's the most important thing ever to talk about whether someone's foot was inside a line or outside of a line, right? So for something like football, we would never accept just some made up rules or just some sloppy uh, clarity around what the rules are. But the church will just throw things around like crazy. NFL football, we have a rules expert, a review booth, two coaches on the side, all kinds of coordinators, skilled players, and all of these things going on. But, but for the church, we would just say, eh, I don't know. I think God would be cool with that. I mean, how much more important is the creator of the world that literally wrote what he thinks about things into a, a pretty tight book, very well documented, um, but we just say things. It's like the answer is right there. It's incredible. Really, it's really incredible. Think about this. The phone rings. Pretend that this is pre-cell phone. I know some of you didn't live in pre-cell phone, but there was this time when an object that was connected to the wall with a cord, guys, was connected with a cord. You couldn't walk around with it. You, you could only have conversations in your house, right? Um, so you, 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 it rings, and you get social anxiety because you don't know who's there. Right? It doesn't tell you. you. You don't even know what you're about to experience when you pick this thing up. right? So you pick it up, hello, is what you used to say. 
when you answered a phone. In my home, you would say, Weathersby Residence, this is John. How may I help you? It's like I worked for someone, right? And then the person talks to you, and they say, hey, I'm um, calling about your extended car warranty. I'm just kidding. Um, they say, hey, this is Fern. <laughs> this is Fern, and I am doing a survey today. Are you a Christian? And you say, well, yes, Fern, I am a Christian. Should she just move on now and start asking you all kinds of other questions, like um, how many kids are in your home, or whatever Fern's questions are today? Um, what, what questions could she ask back to see, are you a Christian? Are they just accepting everybody that picks up the phone and says, yes, I, I am a Christian? Yeah. And so John gives a little bit of clarity around what it means to be a believer. Who is Jesus? What is in this word that the creator of the universe has passed so that we don't have to make up things about him? In fact, we shouldn't make up things about him. Wouldn't make up the rules of football. You wouldn't stand under the roof of the house I built. But we're so slow to go to the word of God to see what it says. Or lazy, right? First thing you think of, maybe, if you want to know something about God, is I wonder if somebody's written a book on that. I wonder if John MacArthur wrote a book on Jesus. Like, you know what's really interesting? God wrote a book on Jesus. Way more authoritative. And if Pastor MacArthur was to come here and I was to say, hey, John, um, because we hang out, uh, I say, hey, John, you wrote a really interesting book on Jesus. I was thinking about learning about Jesus. What should I read? I know what his answer would be. He would not say, read my book. He'd say, read your Bible. Read your Bible. But we're so slow to do that. What is it? There's this resistance to reading the Bible. We want something else. We want something distilled, which is why I say when we go through these book studies, it's such a great opportunity to just read through these books as we're going. Um, you know, chapter one on Monday, on Wednesday, chapter three on Thursday, chapter four on Friday, chapter five. That's our pattern for reading this book every week as we go through this study. And over a period of six months, you'll have read it a lot of times. I didn't math it out yet. A lot of times. 52 weeks in a year. Uh, if you do the math in that, that means um, there's uh, 26 and a half times that you're going to read the book. I like doing math on the flight. It makes Patrick happy. So we should be reading the word when we want to understand what God says. Um, if we remember the, the fall of humanity into this kind of sin-sick condition, being outside of God's immediate care, that's, that's what life was in the garden, right? It was a pretty sweet gig. Um, hang out. Take care of the plants. When you dig holes, it just the earth moves easier, right? The atmosphere is pretty sweetly comfortable. Apparently, people didn't argue yet over what temperature things could be because they were just there. And then original sin comes in and it changes everything. Genesis 3, 1 through 4 reads like this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. 
But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Verse 4. And this is, this is where fellowship breaks down. This is where sin enters into the world. This is where people make up things about God. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. So suddenly, this upright walking snake, because he hasn't been cursed to crawl on the ground yet, that talks, I mean, talk about creeping me out, man. That's a double banger. I hate snakes straight out of the gate. I was going to tell you, let me be around a snake with a shovel in my hand. That is a dead snake. You might come to me and say, John, that is a Burmese python. That's the last one on earth. I have already killed it. And I, do, I don't care. I don't feel bad. I detest snakes. They creep me out. Don't, if you have one as a pet, I'm going to tell you right now, I don't think you're funny. And put that creature on me. That will be your last day having that pet. And I'll make a belt out of it. I'm not sure how we got there. The serpent says to the woman, you will surely not die. You See, what that is, the whole core of that is all about doubting God, doubting God's motives, and trusting something other than God's word, trusting something other than what God said, trusting some outside source other than God about things God has already spoken on. And this is what happens when we start pontificating around God, when we start talking about God without taking that from truths that we know from what God said about himself. We literally don't have to guess about things about God. And if we're in an area that Scripture doesn't speak on, then we should be clear about that. I, you know, I don't know this. That's, that's one of those things that is just mystery for now. And frankly, I'll be excited to learn that perhaps later. Um, if God was completely knowable, would he even be God anyway? Like if I, a time-bound bound creature who only knows the things that happen immediately like within my radius, um, plus whatever I can see online, um, would I expect to know everything there is to be known about God? No, I can't know anything. In fact, if I was like uh, born uh, and left in the woods to be raised by you know, wolves or woodland creatures, um, and I just kind of crawled around. I was like, uh, whoever the jungle kid is, you know, I had dirty feet or whatever. And somehow I actually survived. I don't, I don't think anybody would survive. Um, I don't know why we think the woodland creatures are nice enough to raise a human baby, right? But I think they'd eat it. Anyway, um, I just, I wouldn't, I don't feel like I would find my way to a refined knowledge about God, right? I, I may be able to kind of reason through the existence of things, right? The scriptures teach that everyone knows that there is a God. Everybody kind of has this God concept, but you don't crawl around in the woods and get all dirty and live under leaves and then come out thinking, you know what? I think, I think a God created all of this. And I think he inserted his son in order to endure his wrath because I break his law. You don't come to that conclusion. You absolutely have to have the scriptures for that. Um, and so it's very important. It's absolutely part of God's plan that the scripture would exist. And so scripture twisting started in Genesis 3, 4. In fact, the serpent would go on to make it sound as though God was actually trying to withhold some knowledge from them, some, some secret knowledge about good and evil that really they would be satisfied to know. And now we do. Thanks a lot. Know all about it. Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, 
God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This is what happened in the great exchange of God crushing sin. And he did it on Christ. He didn't just wave the guilt of sin away. He didn't just wink the guilt of sin away and say, ah, I was just kidding, it's cool. He crushed Christ, disarming the rulers, nailing to the cross the legal demands of our trespasses against his law, is accomplished through Christ. And this is the work that John is bringing us into. It's why he'll describe it as joy. It's his joy to be able to demonstrate this truth to us. It should be our joy to be able to receive this truth that there was a legal demand. There was a court of law that rightfully had a judgment against me. And I didn't even know it was out there. Before we can see the fact that we are in sin, we are separated from God, being outside of fellowship with God. We're not in his fellowship because we're in sin. And so being in fellowship with God means being found in Christ. We're being in the midst of the fellowship between God and Christ. And that's why it's the joy of the apostle to be able to communicate that great truth. How do I have fellowship in the truth that John is writing about? That should be our question. Verse 4 says, And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Consider John, 3 John 4. It's really confusing. That. John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, 4 John. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. It was very important that John is very pastoral. It's very important to him that people understood what the truth was. Um, you, you, you think about error. Error is an interesting thing because it seems like a little bit of error isn't that big of a deal, right? Um, and I think trajectory is the easiest way to talk about that, right? So if, I, if I'm going to point a line from here to there and, and the target that I want to hit is, is you know, what's represented by a bullseye is a pretty common uh, way to do that, right? So if I'm just off a little bit to the right, let's say it's an inch to the right. That's not that big of a deal. But what about as, as the distance increases? Now, rather than being... Uh, seven feet away, now it's 200 yards away. Now it's three miles away. That little bit of an error kind of grows and wobbles and it gets greater and greater. And error in the scriptures is completely the same way because as soon as error comes in, it becomes unpinned from the truth, from the source that's supposed to communicate the truth and it grows and it snowballs and it gets completely out of control. You ever heard of self-flagellation? where people will abuse their own bodies. There's whole marches where people will try to kind of set themselves up like Christ, and they'll be beating their bodies, their flesh as they're walking, and then they'll try to literally hang from crosses. to endure. Why would you do that? Jesus literally said, it is finished. You are in sin. There is nothing that I bring to the equation that can bring anything to my salvation. In fact, if I try to bring something to my salvation, then I would undo it. Because if I try to uphold the law then I better succeed perfectly because if not, I'm guilty of all of it as soon as I fail. And the first thing I would do is fail. 
So he said that John is caring and passionate, like a pastor for the truth, because of the love that he has for the hearer. Um, he is deeply concerned that the truth is what is communicated, because the truth or whatever started in the church was going to be perpetuated from generation to generation to generation. People were going to teach their kids what was taught, and that was going to be passed down. And so John cares a lot about that. He cares for the immediate people and the future people. Amen, brother. So we started this book off talking about the love that John has for the hearer, the joy that he personally receives, that the, the apostles have when people understand the person of Christ, when people come into fellowship between the Father and the Son. That is where our mutual earthly fellowship takes place. When we're found in truth, when we really understand who Christ is, we become really excited, right? And when we fellowship, it's, dif it's different. We're not talking about stupid things like the Steelers or, uh, you know, wh whatever other goofy subject that we could talk about. Our, our speech and our conversation starts to be sprinkled by eternal truths, by who God is, by the person in the work of Christ, um, by just our being blown away by the fact that God accepts any of us, right? Like, like some people are, are blown away that God doesn't accept everyone. Um, some people are blown away that God doesn't accept them or other people. I'm just blown away that God, God has any fellowship with me because I know me intimately. And if I were God, I would not. I'm bristly. Like, I, I wouldn't have done anything for me. But God, in his infinite and great love, sent his son to suffer and die for my shortcomings. That's incredible. John 16, 22 says, So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. There's this impermeable joy about being a Christian. Um, scriptures say that we're pressed on every side, but not crushed. I mean, I feel that, right? Sometimes we're, sometimes we're under the gun. It's not as though we, we live in some kind of weird Christian utopia where we're not tested or tried, where people's health around us doesn't fail. People die all the time. I, you know, I, this may come across as cold, but I feel like sometimes, you know, personalities are different and people are different. I don't feel like I experience or feel death around me in the same way that others do. Because I'm always like, like, yeah, well, yeah, that's what happens. Like literally every single person that I'm looking at right now is just they're going to die. This is absolutely what happens. But that should press us on even more hotly to, to want everyone around us to know who God is. We're only here for a tiny bit. The scripture says it's like a vapor, right? Our life is but a vapor. It just floats off and we don't even really know where it goes. You probably don't even remember that much about your great-great-grandparents if you know anything at all, right? Like you may know their name was Cecil and they served in the military or you may have some interesting book or you may look at a sketchy photograph, but you don't know these people. And that's just a few generations back. You don't know them. This life that we're living is the preamble to an eternity. You're just going to be gone from this place and nobody's going to really even think about you like a few years after you die. They literally aren't. So treat this place like that. 
not loosely that you, you don't care about it, you don't care for anybody, actually the opposite of that, that you care a lot for it because you know it's temporary. You know it's just only here for a tiny bit. The consequences of this life aren't that severe. Uh, sometimes I think we feel like, oh, if I tell somebody I, I'm a Christian, then they're going to think I'm weird. I mean, okay, right? That, you know, that and a dollar gets you any size drink you want at McDonald's. Um, so find a way to sprinkle those conversations into your life, right? And by the way, how did they say a dollar gets you any size drink? Like if somebody's saying, I'll take a dollar for a medium. John 10, 27 through 30, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. It's like you, you read about what can separate you from the love of God in Christ, and there's this huge list, right? And then it ends with, nor nothing else in all creation. Guess where you exist? In creation. So that means you cannot separate yourself from the love of God in Christ. John is very clear on that position. So here we are in a church. We know that the church is established by Christ. It's chartered by Christ. It's gifted by Christ. It is energized by the Spirit of God to deliver the unvarnished word to a thirsty people. Now, if we start to function as a church and we step away from the word and we make up things about God, we actually do damage to the truth. We alienate people from fellowship between the Father and the Son. And that undoes the gospel. The gospel is found in truth. The gospel is found in being united to Christ. There's no way to the Father except through Christ. So if we pervert the truths of who Christ is, we obscure at least. You know, you think about the old cartoons where there's like a hole in the ground and it's disguised by like some leaves, right? If Jesus is the only way to Christ and we start to change the understanding of who Jesus is, we start to obscure who Jesus is, we start to make up some kind of a secret knowledge about Christ, we take the path from Christ to God and we hide it or we talk about it wrongly. That's evil. This is exactly what Satan would want to do. And we have to remember that the church is not ours to author. Who Christ is and presenting Him is not ours to make up. It's ours to read, understand, and be found approved as we're able to rightly divide the Word of God. Not make it up. We literally don't have to make up anything about God. It's in the Scripture or we should be quiet about it. It's so hard to impress the importance of the Word. So I want to encourage us again as we go through this study of the book of 1 John. Um, I take the position of, of LeVar. Um, don't take my word for it. Read the book. 
Right? We have a whole, every time we do a book study, we have some kind of a pattern for reading the entirety of the book. And this one's easy, five verses, Monday through Friday. The day of the week correlates to the chapter of the book as long as you're in a you know, Christian society. It starts day one is Monday, chapter one, Monday. Um, and, and read through like that. I really want to encourage you to do that. And then um, when you're uh, a people of the internet on, on, uh, on FaceTube and um, uh, InstaTweet, we send out the verse ranges and the book that will be in the following Sunday. So on that Saturday, which has no day of the week for us to read a chapter of, read those verse ranges. And then on Sunday morning, read that again before you come in. Um, because the way that we study Scripture, it's, it's very methodological, right? It's chapter and verse. Nothing is hidden. Neither John nor I is very creative and comes up with some kind of a statement and wraps Scripture around it. You know exactly where you're going to be. And so because of that, then we want to be approved uh, to divide that word. So we want to be prepared. We want to have read the passages. We want to be thinking about them and processing them. And, and um, we want to have our minds transformed by that word. So there's a participation in that process. So I say all that to say, read the book. Let's pray. Great God, thank you so much for your word and for the truth that you give to us in your word. We thank you for um, John in his clear presentation of who your son Jesus is. And God, we thank you that now, actually this Friday, we break to celebrate his birth. And after that celebration of his birth, we remember, we recall that he became a man and grew up and lived, tempted and tried in all ways, like us, yet without sin. And that he endured the cross, though there was no sin in him, bearing the guilt and shame of our own trespasses against you, God. And so we become freshly appreciative of the weight behind the grace in your gospel. God, I pray that you give us your spirit, that we might understand your word as we read it this week. And I pray that excitement builds as we gather next week to celebrate again, if you should tarry. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You would.